Welcome to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop, where you'll find the unique, the bizarre, and sometimes the haunted. Feel free to look around, peruse the items, and never fear. There's nothing here that bites. Hard, anyway. <laughs> ah, hello there. So pleased to see you return to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. I am your shopkeeper, Chris Baker, and today we have got a very interesting item indeed. If you'll take a look over here on the wall, we have this mounted on display. It is a plague mask. Of course, this particular piece is from the 17th century. If you'll notice the two round large eye holes sealed with glass and the long hooked almost beak-like nose to this mask, usually uh, as you see the long slits down the side, uh, usually filled with all sorts of aromatic herbs to, to filter and purify the air. I'm sure it also helped with the putrid stench of the plague. And of course, this mask and its wearer did see horrors of its time. And today, this mask is a horror for those who see it. And yet, we are no strangers to masks to prevent sickness, given the events of the past three years. And therein lies the heart of today's episode of Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. So let's pull out the kinetoscope and take a look at the new Peacock film, Sick. So this film, Sick, came out, uh, it actually made the film festivals late last year, 2022, but it was released on the Peacock streaming service back on January the 13th. Now, I have had Peacock and Paramount are two streaming services that I have had off and on over the past couple years, and I was kind of on one of those off-agains with Peacock, and I, I didn't get to see Sick when it came out. I believe it was released to Peacock on January the 13th. And I didn't have Peacock at the time, but uh, my wife and I, I can't remember what it was we wanted to watch. Maybe it was sick. I, I can't recall, but we decided, okay, we're going to, we're going to put down the shekels and get Peacock again. So once we did that, I'm like, okay, I've got to watch sick. It's been too long, uh, you know, a little over a month since this, since this movie's come out. I want to check it out. And I checked it out. Uh, I really kind of had low expectations expectations because I I don't know uh, the writer of Scream Kevin Williamson he wrote the first two Screams and then was producer on the other Scream movies I'm not a big fan of the Scream franchise uh, I'm just gonna throw that out there although I haven't watched a lot of the Scream franchise uh, really the first movie turned me off to it uh, right out of the gate which we've got a brand new Scream movie coming out and I've decided that okay I'm going to give it a shot. I'm going to rewatch Scream 1, and then I'm going to watch all the way through. Uh, and then when this new movie comes out, I'm going to watch it. Give Scream the chance that I have not given it over the past decades. And so I'm trying to be a little more open-minded to Scream. And when I found out that Kevin Williamson wrote this, I was like, oh, Jesus, it's going to be like Scream all over again. I just had a feeling, just from the trailers I saw of this. I wasn't wrong, but I may have been wrong all in the same breath. Now, this is written by Kevin Williamson and Caitlin Crabb. It's directed by John Hyams. Of course, he did some stuff with uh, Black Summer, Z Nation, Chucky. So he, he's no stranger to horror. 
so if you're familiar with that, you may know his style of directing. But this is a movie that takes place during the height of COVID. Uh, we start out in April of 2020, and that's kind of when everything was starting to go into lockdown. And we started seeing things disappearing from the shelves because everyone was stockpiling because they didn't know how long this quarantining, this stay-in-place order was was going to last. And, and the very first scene we get in this uh, throws you right into the middle of that. Now, uh, at first, I wasn't sure how it was going to feel about... Uh, like a, we've had some movies that kind of hint at the things that went on with COVID, especially a lot of horror movies that hint at the things that went on with COVID in a in a roundabout way that play off the. Uh, solitude that play off the the that quarantine feel where you're just cut off from society but none that have really done it quite so literal as sick does it and i wasn't sure how i was going to feel about that because you know we all lived it uh we all went through it you know to some degree we're still going through it or at least dealing with the aftermath of it uh, i didn't know if i wanted to watch a movie that just was so literal uh, about COVID and was so so in your face about what we had just all experienced it. You know, we all got a little, you know, how they get you know, war weariness, that whole mindset. Uh, I got COVID weariness. I just got sick of it. <laughs> I didn't want to see anymore. But again, trying to give this movie a chance, give it a fair shake. Uh, so I, I gave it a shot. And I have to say that while my expectations were low, because of the writer of this and his history with a movie that I didn't really care for. I enjoyed this not as much as I could have, but I enjoyed it more than I actually did. And, and we'll discuss that and we'll talk about that. Um, right off the bat, the, the quick premise of this is you've got these two main characters, uh, Parker and Miri, who are two I don't know if they're supposed to be late teens or early 20s. They're college students, and they're going off to stay at Parker's family's lakeside cabin out in the middle of nowhere. They're going to quarantine there, uh, the two of them together. And we find out that they are not alone at all in this secluded cabin in the middle of the mountains in the on the shores of a lake. They are not alone, and... There is, there is something there with ill intent. And that's the basic premise of this movie. Now, I do want to warn you, we are going to talk about this movie and we're going to talk about spoilers. So if you haven't watched Sick yet, uh, go check it out. Peacock Network is not that expensive. It's like $4.99 a month. If you want, just get it for a month and then watch the movie. Shit, you'd pay more renting it on Amazon or wherever. So Check it out. Because like I said, while it does take a while to get to the the good stuff, when you're talking about a horror movie, when you're talking about a, a slasher movie, uh, it takes a while to get there. But once you get there, it's full speed ahead. And that time that it takes to get there, it can be a little rough to get through. Especially if you're like me, you're turning into an old crotchety Gen Xer that, uh, that doesn't understand the kids these days. Uh, you know, these are two... Gen Z girls that uh, the one, especially the Parker character is, it's just a lot of things that drive me nuts about the younger generation. Uh, so if that gets under your skin, uh, the, the first 
part of the movie is going to be a little rough on you. But like I said, once you get to the good stuff, it actually really is worth the wait. So check it out if you haven't sick on the Peacock streaming service and then come back and listen to my thoughts and, and we'll maybe uh, see if we're, we're on the same page as this. But if you have watched it or maybe you're not really interested in watching it, but you do want to kind of hear about what it's about and then maybe you'll make up your mind after that. And you don't mind spoilers. Uh, me, spoilers don't really... Uh, I don't care about spoilers one way or another. It's not, if it's a movie's going to be good, uh, it's going to be good whether it's spoiled for me or not. That's the way I always look at it. I had uh, Sixth Sense spoiled for me a long time ago, and it was still a really damn good movie. So with that being said, let's move on. From here on out, there are going to be spoilers, so you have been warned. So one of the things I did end up liking about this movie is how it all started out. Uh, you have this guy, he's going to a grocery store. And like I said, this is uh, April of 2020 in the height of quarantining, in the height of everyone wearing masks, everybody freaking out, everybody's scared shitless. And the store shelves, for the most part, especially when it comes to uh, Kleenex and tissue and hand sanitizer and, you know, disinfecting wipes and uh, disinfectant sprays, the shelves were bare. And everyone's freaking out, stockpiling all this stuff, uh, stockpiling hand sanitizer, stockpiling soap. And this this main, well, what we, I don't know, I guess we maybe thought he was a, a main character. At least I did right off the bat. Tyler, played by Joel Courtney. And you may know Joel Courtney. Uh, he was Joe in Super 8. He's been in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., uh, some other things. He, he's been, you know, acting for, for a while now. He is going into this supermarket and like the shelves are bare and he sees a box of tissues and he, he goes to, to grab it as another lady is. And of course he gets it first and she's like just all out of sorts because he grabbed the tissues that she wanted. And he's, you know, really kind of a nice guy uh lets her have it and you don't get a thank you from her nothing and it's his reactions are, are quite funny uh this isn't a horror comedy but there are some uh comedic moments uh and and not comedic in a here's a joke here's the punchline but comedic in the way people react and the the comedy of how you know ridiculous things are and things happen in real life but all of a sudden, he's walking through the store trying to get some stuff, trying to get some groceries, and he's getting these texts, uh, somebody messing with him, asking him where's the party, and and he doesn't recognize the number, and he keeps telling the whoever it is to F off. And next thing you know, he's standing in line, and somebody takes a picture on their cell phone and texts it to him, and he can't see, he doesn't know who's behind him. And it, it, it's really kind of creepy. You have to imagine if you were in that position, and somebody's snapping pictures uh, from behind you and, and texting it to you and you have no idea who this is that it added an air of bizarreness and creepiness that stalked feeling that i thought was a good way to start off the movie of course then he gets home and thinks he's safe and then he finds a door open and then that's when the shit hit the fan and this this fight scene between him and this black clad figure that has you know all black black hat black mask and this big hunting knife and the, the fight scene, the fight scene, I really enjoyed it because it did feel real for a character that there were times where this this bad guy, this antagonist, this black clad figure is tossing Tyler about like a rag doll. You're like, oh, that's 
that's some really, uh, I don't want to say superhuman strength, but that's a little more strength than the mortal man would have. You're, you're really not sure whether this is some sort of uh, supernatural entity, whether this is just a real person. When when Tyler fights back, this this person in all dressed in black with this knife is getting hurt so you have to imagine it is a real person but the the fight scene's brutal and you know you you have this scene where you think that's okay everything's fine tyler feels like everything's fine the worst of it's over and then the worst of it is not over the guy is behind him and slits his throat and it to me that was a, a great way to kick off this movie because it really sets up who the bad guy is in this uh and it doesn't set up anything more than that it, you just know that there is somebody dressed in black going around killing people with a hunting knife does it have anything to do with covid uh, what does it have anything to do with at all you know uh tyler we don't know much about him uh we know what a few things from a couple text messages he sends but we don't know anything about this kid and and what brought this on so it really sets up this mystery as to who is this bad guy why are they doing what they're doing and whatever they're doing they know what they're doing <laughs> if that makes any sense because they're very elusive uh very much know what they're doing as far as killing people uh killing is their business and business is good as dave mustaine would probably say but then after that that's kind of when we meet parker and miri and we'll talk about these two characters because uh really this is a very small cast you don't get a lot of people and you don't get a lot of fodder for for kills which i, I thought was quite surprising you know you have uh, these two girls quarantining in this cabin in the mountains on a lake in the middle of nowhere and i'm like well if this is a slasher movie who where's the body count gonna come from and and that took care of itself and we'll get to all of that but uh, i was i was wondering how this is all gonna play out but we meet parker and miri and uh because those are your two main characters that you we're gonna focus on i'll talk about them real quick gideon adlon plays parker mason i'm not very familiar with her work I mean, she's done a few things I've heard of. Uh, she was in that Girl Meets World uh, spinoff of Boy Meets World. She was on Criminal Minds. A few other things that I vaguely know, but I'm not really familiar with her work. But I have to say, she did a really good job with this role because she had to go from annoying Gen Z rich girl that kind of gets what she wants and does whatever she wants with no real concern for anyone else. And she goes from that to being an empathetic character that you're rooting for at the end. I, I didn't like her at the beginning. At the beginning, I was like, oh, I hope this, this guy with the knife comes along and takes care of her quickly because I can't stand this. This character is annoying the bejesus out of me. But then by the end of it, you you care about her, you worry about her, and you're rooting for her. And, and I have to say, that is uh, a lot to do with Gideon Adlon's portrayal of this character, Parker Mason. She did a really good job. And, and there was a lot of scenes where you really felt like this is a real character. This is a real person reacting the way real people would act. Uh, there's no real stupid decisions being made that you get in a lot of horror movies. I mean, she and the Miri character, 
I do some things from time to time that I'm like, ah, I don't know as if I would do it like that, but I'm have the luxury of sitting on my couch watching this uh, and not in the position that these characters would be in. But for the most part, they were very smart characters that did smart things and did, you know, the right things most of the time. Sometimes there were some missteps, some things they should have done differently, but that's life. That's how real characters feel. And that's what I liked about these these two girls is the, the actors made these characters feel real and, and the characters themselves felt real and they, they felt like competent, rational thinking people. So that's one of the things I really liked about this movie is that these, these two characters uh, didn't feel like the atypical brain dead uh, female heroine that just does stupid things just to further the scares and the plot of a, of a horror movie. They, they felt like smart competent girls even though the parker character was annoying uh, she's not dumb and and i appreciated that uh, because you know i wasn't spending the whole time movie why is she doing this why is she going into that dark room why is she going down into that dark basement you know there were were moments where she tried to do the right thing but it didn't pan out where miri tried to do the right thing but they but things didn't pan out the way they wanted to but it was the smart play it was the smart move and 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 i respected that and i respected that in the writing and i respected that in how these these two young actresses portrayed these characters now the other character miri played by beth million uh i liked her character i liked her performance because her character is the is the responsible one where the parker character is the you know, kind of spoiled rich girl that just does whatever she wants and doesn't care what anyone else thinks and doesn't care about uh, the responsibility of your actions. There again, you know, everybody's masking up. Everybody's quarantining. She's quarantining, but she's quarantining with her best friend. Uh, she doesn't want to wear a mask when she's supposed to. And Miri is the character that does all the things she's supposed to. She's reminding Parker to, to mask up. She's a med student, so she's going to be a doctor. She's very smart, very studious and like I said a very responsible character in this and as we find out later in this movie very resourceful and very resilient and and while the character didn't give you much of an arc like the Parker character did from being an annoying uh, young Gen Z that just you know drives you nuts with all their her irresponsibility to a character you care about. Uh, the Mira character is a character that you care about through the whole thing uh, because she is, you know, she's the girl that's doing the right thing or at least trying to do the right thing. She is responsible. And this is the kind of character that usually gets it in the end. Uh, and we'll talk about how these characters end up. But, uh, but the Miri character uh, goes through some trials and tribulations. It's not like she is a cast-off character where we're only focusing on Parker and she's just kind of in the background. She gets her own journey through this. It may not be a character-developing journey, but maybe more of a character-defining journey, if you will. Then there's another character that's kind of thrown into the mix. Uh, we hear Parker and Miri talking about this uh, guy she was seeing and he's ghosted her uh, he's no longer texting her and is dj gonna be upset about this or what does G dj think about this so we're, this character dj cole it's a guy that is really into parker uh, she doesn't seem as into him they probably hooked up maybe at one point but played by dylan sprayberry uh, he shows up unannounced and it 
adds for some scares uh, when you know he's he's on the phone in his little earpiece and doesn't answer them when they say who's at the door and it it added some some tension and added a a moment that I kind of saw coming uh, that this wasn't going to be the killer this is going to be somebody else and and it added some scares you know some of those jump scares that you come to expect in modern horror films at least they didn't do the thing thing where you know they make everything quiet and then all of a sudden there's a jump cut to somebody there and a big loud sound effect or a big loud music stinger or, or anything like that they didn't go for that cheap of a jump scare but through this first act of the movie yeah you're just kind of getting to meet uh, parker and miri uh parker starts getting texts from somebody that that seemed kind of cryptic and weird, much like the Tyler character at the beginning of the movie, but she ends up blocking the number. Uh, then DJ shows up, and they're they're smoking pot and they're drinking and they're partying, and there's some moments where you get uh, a little more backstory into Parker and DJ's relationship. And just when you think the night's over, it's only just begun, baby. Because I believe when they're starting to go to bed, DJ goes out to his truck. And leaves the front door open and you see this shadowed figure walk in. And then as they're getting ready for bed, there's some some really creepy scenes. There's one creepy scene with Parker and, and the camera is on her in the foreground. But in the background, you see this silhouette of a dark figure, uh, you know, kind of slowly coming out from the door frame. And it, it was pretty creepy and pretty effective for for what they're trying to do with the horror movie. And you had some scenes like that. They had a lot of scenes leading up to this of, you know, shadows in the background, uh, shadowy figures. You're not sure who it is, what it is, if it's even anybody. But, uh, but that scene in particular was quite chilling. And it's when they find out that somebody is in the house that shit just goes to 11. And that's where this movie really kicks into gear. Like they're towards the end of that first act, the beginning of the second act. Business picks up. And I really like the heroic moment that the DJ character got fighting this this black clad figure with the hunting knife. Uh, and, and we realize it's the same person that was uh, that killed Tyler earlier in the film. And, and the fight was really good. And the fight felt really real. It felt like two real guys fighting one another. Even though, like I said, the, the figure clad in black seems a little stronger than your average bear. I mean that figuratively, not a literal bear or a cocaine bear, which I haven't watched that yet. But that's, that's for a different podcast. But I liked how his first instinct is to give the keys to his truck to Parker and Mary and tell them to get in the truck and get ready to drive away. And he goes to fight this guy uh, so they can get away. So a very for, for a character that seems a little, at times a little douchey, at times a little clingy, at times a little like sad sap. I'm crushing on this girl that has no interest in me whatsoever. And I'm just going to follow her around like a, like a puppy dog. Uh, you feel that he's going to be a certain type of character and have a certain type of ending, but he doesn't, he doesn't, he has a really heroic ending and that scene where he comes crawling out the door and then stands up and he's kind of moving towards the, the truck and Parker realizes that his feet are barely touching the ground. And it was weird. I'm like, what, what the hell's going on? And then they, they pan up, to the the torso of dj 
and move around. And you see this black clad figure has DJ partially impaled on this pole and his is running him out like some sort of puppet. One, the arm strength, the body strength that would take to do that is not is not human. Uh, at least not any average human. Uh, so I, I, I there again, another thing about the black clad character that just didn't seem realistic, but it was it was creepy as fuck. I'll, I'll say that. And then he rams the this rod completely through him uh, and it bursts out his chest. And you get a nice spray of blood, a little bit of gore was, was a nice touch. You need that in your horror film. It was disgusting and it was horrific and everything you want in a horror movie. But I liked how they, they gave the girls the smart thing. DJ did the smart thing by giving them the keys to get out of there. The girls are doing the smart thing by just trying to get the hell out of there. And I like how they derail that because this black clad figure has slashed one of the tires on this truck before before even starting any of this. Uh, so, you know, that kind of derails their plan for driving away. But then, of course, they do run back to the house. Instead of just running away. Uh, so that was, I, I don't know. They run back to the house just to go upstairs and climb out a window and climb around the edge to get to another place where they can climb down. And I, I don't know what the thinking was there. That part was a little, one of the moments where their decision making didn't make sense. But it did make for a quite a, a disturbing scene where they're walking along the, the roof of this house and they, you know, Parker moves past this window and Miri is going past it and you see this black clad figure bust through the window and grab a hold of Miri and she ends up falling and, and you see her land on the ground with this this disturbing thud and just the, uh, the my body tenses up just thinking of that shot because it was it was done quite well it was done quite realistic and, and the thud and the way her body hits the ground in that in that effect shot was very disturbing and very unnerving and you think oh shit she is dead now we find out she's not dead parker gets to her find out her leg is broken she tells her to play dead and then she's going off to to try and draw this black clad figure away which leads to another thing that really kind of bothered me is you know she's leading this black clad figure away by unmooring a part of their their dock to row out to the middle of this lake and the black clad figure swims out and gets to the dock and they have a bit of a the raft moment if you know the stephen king short story and the uh, creep show 2 short of that uh, where he's kind of stabbing up through the boards on this this floating bit of uh, dock so she jumps in the water and swims back to the house so yet again back to the house she goes gets Miri inside, the black clad figure goes in there, and in a bit of a shocking moment, there is a fight between Parker and this black clad figure. And again, a very realistic fight. Even for like a smaller girl taking on a larger guy, it felt real. Uh, it felt plausible until she gets him on the ground and, and has this, I don't know, this big heavy pot or something. I can't remember exactly what it was. And bashes the shit out of his head. And I'm like, oh my God. This is this is the bad guy in this movie. This is the slasher. And he is now dead. 
And we've still got, what, like 45 minutes, a half hour left in this movie? I was like, what, what the hell's going on? And then she looks up to the open front door, and there is another black clad figure standing there with a hunting knife in their hand, which led to all sorts of questions. What, what the hell is going on? Is this some sort of uh, COVID doomsday cult? Or I, I don't know. I, I, is it some sort of group that have, have taken to killing people? Does, what does it have to do with COVID? Because they've really focused on COVID throughout this movie. And it just, wow, it, it got the mind racing as to what the hell is going on here. Which led to another chase scene. Uh, Parker runs leading off this second black clad figure until they get to a road and a car comes up. And Parker goes to get the driver to let her into the car. And this scene is in the trailer. And I, I, I saw it and I'm like, oh Christ, it's it's. Yeah, this is very much a social commentary on COVID. And those moments where you get some of that social commentary, that social satire, they are a little bit funny. But the the woman in the car won't let her in because she's not masked up. And there's this killer, you know, standing feet away coming towards them. And it plays out with some humor. But in the bigger picture of things, I get where they're going with this. And we'll, we'll talk about the themes a little bit later. But she gets this mask, uh, this extra mask this lady has. And the scenes where like, she's like, let me in. There's a killer there. She's like, but you don't have a mask. It, it was quite funny and quite ironic. But she gets this mask, gets in the car and finds out it's laced with chloroform. And that just leads to another, what the fuck is going on here? Now, while this is going on, there's a, a really cool thing I like that went on with Miri because Miri ha has been helped into the house. She's got this busted leg. There's this, what she assumes is a dead body laying there. She breaks this chair apart and makes a splint and wrapping it with cellophane. And she is, she's trying to mend herself. She's a doctor, so she knows what she's doing. And as she's trying to mend herself, this corpse, well, we think it's a corpse, but this guy, this, this first black clad figure is still very much alive and goes to attack her. And she ends up grabbing this knife that was pulled out earlier and stabs him in the neck. And, and this just kind of lends itself to what I said earlier about the Miri character is that not only is she very, uh, resourceful, but she's very resilient. Like I said, you know, she's making a splint out of busted, uh, busted stool legs and an electric carving knife and some cellophane cling wrap. She survives this fall off this house to, to put herself back together and to have enough fight in her to best. I mean, this guy's had the shit bashed out of his face, so he's probably not in top form, but she did what she had to do to survive. And that's, that's really one of the things you like about this character, Miri, that you, you root for her. Where you weren't rooting for Parker at the beginning, uh, you end up rooting for her at the end. And Miri is a character that you're rooting for the whole time. But while Miri's mending herself up, uh, a car pulls up and it is this woman that knocked out Parker and the second black clad figure bringing Parker in. And this is really where all the pieces are put together. It's really weird because the, the woman in the car. Uh, it's actually uh, a character named Pamela, played by Jane Adams. And, and Jane Adams is one of those uh, kind of veteran actresses that has just been in so many different films and TV series over the years. Uh, I, I'm not very familiar with a lot of the films she's done, but I mean, she's done uh, all sorts of 
of TV from going back into the mid 80s. She was in Tales from the Dark Side, one of the episodes in that original run of that. Uh, she was on Family Ties for a few episodes. Uh, she did one of those ABC after school movies. She was in the late 90s revival of The Outer Limits. She was in that Thomas Jane show, Hung. Uh, just a, a ton of things. Uh, she was in the Twin Peaks rebooted series back uh, a few years back. So she's done a lot of work and has been around. Great actress. Uh, really enjoyed her. But we find out that she and the second black clad uh, character. Uh, is none other than Mark Benchaka, which, if you're not familiar with him, uh, love this guy. This guy's a fantastic actor, fantastic character actor. Uh, first, I mean, I've seen him in various things, but I really first took notice of him when I watched that movie from a couple years ago, No One Gets Out Alive, which I thought he did a really good job as Red. Uh, he's also been in... Ozark. He played the Russ Langmore character in Ozark and just has done a ton of work in, in film and TV. And I've, I've just become a, a big fan of him uh, as an actor. And he just married uh, Lena Headey, who I'm a huge fan of hers as well. He married her back in October. So Mark Manchaka revealed to be uh, Pamela's husband, uh, Jason, in this. And we find out the dead uh, black clad character is their oldest son, Jeb. And how it all kind of ties together is earlier in the movie, we were hearing Parker and Miri talk about how uh, she was ghosted. Parker was ghosted by some guy she met at a party uh, named Benji. We find out that Benji is Jason and Pamela's youngest son. And when they first get into the house, they give a, a swab to Parker's nose and they're doing one of those home COVID tests. And we find out after Parker had hooked up with Benji at this party, was kissing, making out with him, he contracted COVID and died weeks later. Parker's like, I don't have COVID. I've never had COVID. I don't have any symptoms. And then we find out that she does have COVID. She's just asymptomatic and that she gave Benji COVID and he died from it. And Jason and Pamela and their older son, uh, now deceased Jeb, have been going around doing the tracing to find out where she got it from. Uh, they killed Tyler earlier in the movie because they found out that Tyler gave Parker COVID. And that is what this is all about. Revenge for, for killing their son with COVID. But after Pamela and Jason do the whole Bond villain thing and explain everything uh, and, and, and not terrible exposition dialogue. Jason goes upstairs and I can't remember what exactly for, but Miri hobbles over and whops Pamela on the back of the head with her laptop. And Parker ends up upstairs with Jason, played by Mark Manchaka, and they're fighting around the balcony and he gets pushed over the balcony and lands on these two big elk horns. I believe they're elk horns uh, that were knocked to the ground and are just laying in the kind of the foyer area of this house. He lands on those in one of the best practical effects scenes. He's laying there with a couple of these antlers sticking through his body. And as he dies and it was, it was gross. It was disgusting. And it, it really worked for a horror movie. I mean, it, it was one of the most more graphic and disgusting scenes where you didn't get a lot of CG work. It was just done practically and looked so good. And, and Mark Menchaca uh, does a fantastic job in 
totality of this movie but in that death scene it's just you could feel the pain of that and the the shock of what had just happened but then Parker and Miri they make their way to this barn there's a like a utility vehicle that they're trying to get started and they think it needs gas Miri's trying to start it Parker's getting the gas cans and Pamela comes back in there's a a fight scene where where Pamela's swinging an axe and cutting open these gas cans and getting gas everywhere and then it ends with Miri lights are on fire Pamela's lit on fire now it was CG fire and as she's running out the the door it looked like a CG character lit on fire running out a real world environment uh then running down the road and then she finally collapses as the the police pull up and Parker and Miri uh walk hand in hand towards towards the police towards this uh, burning body of Pamela uh, you know, it's it, it ties it all up in a nice, neat bow and was really kind of an enjoyable horror film. Wasn't great, but it wasn't bad either. It was pretty good. I, I enjoyed it. Probably will never watch it again, but I enjoyed it for the watch. And I, I think it's very much worth uh, checking this out on streaming. Uh, didn't get a theatrical release. It's definitely worth getting a month of Peacock. Uh, because there's so much other stuff on Peacock that you can watch as well. You can watch the unrated version of Megan, which just came out. We're going to be doing a random curiosity on that. Uh, see whether that's worth watching. But, you know, Peacock has a lot of stuff. You're going to get your $4.99 worth out of it. And you would spend that much to rent sick anyway. So check it out. I, I, I think you should because it was worth it. it. And there was a lot of things going for this that made me think I wasn't going to like this. Like I said, Kevin Williamson writing this and writing, being the writer of the first couple screams and being involved with the first couple screams. This definitely had a lot of scream vibes to it. Uh, the guys all dressed in black, just the way they moved, just their mannerisms. It felt very much like Ghostface. And I'm not a fan of Ghostface as a slasher, as a as a killer. When it when it comes to the greats, the Michael Myers, the Jason Voorhees, the Freddy Krueger, even fucking Chucky, who's a doll. Uh, Ghostface is way down on the list. You got Pinhead, you got Leatherface. They all are much better than Ghostface. And you had a lot of Ghostface vibes with this guy dressed in black with a hunting knife, which turned out being two guys. But I shouldn't have liked it because of that. I shouldn't have liked it because uh, the one of the main characters was just a pretentious Gen Z that just annoyed the bejesus out of me. But like I said, I shouldn't have liked it because of that. But I ended up did liking because she was she was sympathetic enough in some regards and likable enough in some regards that you cared enough about her that when the shit hit the fan and she started being the the hero. Uh, you can't even call her a final girl because both her and, and Miri, they were both final girls, if you will. She started being a likable protagonist and made that switch. So uh, while I, I shouldn't have liked this character because of the way she started out, I, I liked the character by the way she ended. I thought Gideon Adlon did a, a fantastic job with the role because uh, she played that annoying Gen Z character quite well. But then she also played... The, the hero just trying to survive uh, even better. 
And and I, that's what I really liked about this character. I shouldn't have liked this because of some of the some of the CG they used, some of the CG blood, the CG flames, and things like that. Stuff that all could have been done practical. I probably would have cost a little more. But they didn't do all CG. They did some practical work, uh, some practical blood work, some practical effects, which. Which I appreciated that as well. The the scene with Mark Minchaka uh, on those antlers was just was bloody and gruesome and, and disgusting and and everything you want in practical effects in a horror movie. And where I thought I was going to have a real problem with this was the the social commentary and the social satire of of COVID. And I, I felt like, oh, uh, this is going to be one of those things where I'm going to be preached to by the end of this. And it really wasn't. Uh, it, it didn't come across as a preachy film. It really felt like, and this is just my take on it, but the theme of this really felt like uh, pitting one sector of society against another sector of society. Uh, not pitting them against each other, but showing both sides and how both sides really kind of felt like they were at each other's throats throughout the whole of COVID. You had one side, the Parker side, who was just very kind of flippant about it. And I don't need to wear a mask. And, you know, it, you know, nobody's going to get it for me. I'm not going to get it. I don't have COVID. I, I shouldn't be responsible for my actions. You had that sector of society kind of represented in Parker. And then you had the sector of society that just went to the extremes of like, I won't even help somebody from a fucking axe murderer because they don't have a mask on. I'm not going to let them in my car because I'm afraid I'm going to get COVID. And that mentality of protecting yourself from COVID becomes reason to, to kill other people. That's more hyperbolic, but you know, it, it's that same, those two sides of that same coin where, you know, people didn't feel they had to be responsible for themselves and their actions during COVID and the people that uh, felt that they had to be overly responsible for their actions. And and beyond that, they felt they had to be responsible for other people's actions and and causing problems by telling them that, you know, uh, pointing the finger and you did this, you're the reason. To me, that showed an interest, the interesting dynamic of life during COVID in that time. And that's why I do think uh, this kind of lends to uh, less social commentary and more social satire. And I never really felt like I was being preached to by the end of it, which uh, I appreciate that as well. So like I said, ultimately, when it's all said and done, uh, if you can get through the annoyance of the first act of this movie, uh, the second and third act, or at least most of the second act and the third act, really are balls to the wall with horror and action and and a very enjoyable movie. Like I said, the Parker character in that first act is just uh, just bordering on insufferable and, and you really don't like her, but but she does make that transformation as a character, which which really made the movie enjoyable, I think. And and it did have some some creepy moments, some quasi scary moments. It wasn't horribly scary. Uh, just like Scream is not terribly scary to me. Uh, but it has those moments where the bad guy is lurking in the background in the shadows and the, the good guy doesn't know they're there. It had moments like that that uh, that gave you enough chills that, that it worked as a horror movie. And it had the gore and it had some some gruesome kills, which which were enjoyable. And the acting, I thought, was, was really good for not having a lot of A-list actors. Uh, Gideon Adlon as Parker, I thought, did a fantastic job. Just given the, the range her character had to go through 
through acting wise as far as this type of character morphing into this type of character was really good beth million uh, as miri did a fantastic job uh jane adams and markman chaka were fantastic as the the murderous parents dylan sprayberry i thought did a a good job for a character that you thought was going to be one way and turned out to be more of a hero uh, i enjoyed that as well even joel courtney who played tyler at the very very beginning you think you like this kid seems like a decent kid uh, and really sets up the the menace and the tension of this whole movie with with his scenes with the black clad killer so all in all not a perfect movie not a great movie but a pretty good movie that i really enjoyed watching and i wasn't sure if i was going to when you laid all the cards out on the table to begin with i didn't think i was going to like this but i ended up uh, liking it a lot more than i thought it would so check it out for yourself and and see what you think uh, it's on peacock right now it's called sick by director John Hyams and written by Kevin Williamson uh, of, of Scream fame and Caitlin Crabb. Uh, I think you're going to enjoy it. I think it's it's a good enough movie that uh, I think you'll enjoy it, especially if you like Scream. You're going to love this movie. I'm not even a Scream fan. I, I can't stand the Scream franchise, even though I'm about to, to embark on a journey to try and understand Scream uh, before the new movie comes out. Uh, I'm not a Scream fan, and I still like this movie. Uh, liked it enough that that I enjoyed it for the most part. So check it out for yourself. See what you think about Sick streaming on Peacock right now. I want to thank everyone for taking the time to listen to my thoughts on Sick. You can uh, check out more on what's going on with Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop on our Facebook page with uh, articles we find from all over the internet about horror, fantasy, and science fiction. I always like to throw in my two cents as well. Uh, we always have trailers for the latest films and series out and uh, keep you updated on that don't forget to check us out on instagram and no matter where you listen to this podcast please follow us subscribe to the podcast uh, like the podcast download the episodes share the episodes with anyone you know that loves horror fantasy and science fiction that's how we get the word out and and that's how i can you know keep doing what i'm doing uh, by you getting the word out and and helping spread the word about this podcast and getting more people listening and and that means more to me than you'll ever know uh, so so please uh, check us out and leave a review five stars would be awesome but whatever review you leave we do appreciate that so until next time thank you for visiting odds bodkins curiosity shop we hope that you found something to your liking and visit the shop again soon but even though you may come back you never really get to leave odds bodkins curiosity shop ha 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 ha